0: Hello. Welcome, everybody. I wanted to um, thank you for being here. Today's conference is Pain Prosperity. I'm sorry.
1: What's okay? Yeah.
0: Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming to the Pain Purpose and Plan webinar series. Um, I wanted to do this series. Um, It was really on my heart because of not only everything that's been going on with the whole COVID thing, but really because, um, you know, we all go through trials and tribulations and things in our life. And it was really put on my heart. Um, the Lord actually put it on my heart that, um, we have, we learn from these um, lessons, I believe, and they make us who we are. Um, we're not alone when we go through these. Um, I'm a Christian, and I feel that um, the Lord goes through, goes with us through these. And um, we're to learn from these lessons, and we're to teach others through these lessons and help them, help others go through these. So um, I have a really um, wonderful um, speaker here with me today, and he's a pastor. His name's Scott LaPierre. Lape-
1: La- Pierre.
0: LaPierre. Pierre. -Pierre. Um, He's a pastor. He's a senior pastor of the Lynn Christian Church, um, a regional facilitator for the Washington and Oregon area, and he's an author as well. Um, He uh, is a conference speaker as well, Living God's Way um, is the title of his ministry, and um, he's... Uh, he's been actually through um, a really trying time right now Um, and uh, I'll let him um, lead into his um, trial that just actually happened um, real recently and um, Scott why don't you um, tell us a little bit about what happened if you don't mind
1: okay sure I'll back up just to give a little context. So I was raised in Northern California and then I I, I spent most of my life in California. I came up to Washington. Um actually if I back up briefly, I was not raised in a Christian home. I became a Christian in my early twenties and I left the Catholic church to become a Christian. And my family was pretty upset with me at that time. Uh that was a trial in and of itself, just, just trying to follow Christ when my family was so upset with me. And so <clears throat> through a lot of prayer to make this to kind of shorten this, my parents did become Christians. I was able to share the gospel with them, and then I was able to baptize them, and then God really restored this relationship that had been very estranged. We'd been very close growing up, and then when I became a Christian, we experienced the separation, but then we came back together through, uh, largely our relationships were stronger through our relationships with Christ, and my parents kind of followed me. They came down Um, They were in Northern California. They came down to a church where I was an associate pastor. They lived down there by me. That's where they became Christians, and I was able to baptize them. And then I came up here to Washington in 2010, and they followed me up here soon after that. And they live in a house, two houses down from us. And Dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a little after they came here. And so his father had Alzheimer's and he only had about five years before he passed away from it. And so when we found out, and my dad was always afraid that he was going to get Alzheimer's as well. And so when he learned that he had it, which we were starting to suspect because of some of the things he was forgetting, it's pretty devastating for him, but God graciously allowed it to progress very, very slowly. And he was around my children um, there was only two of us, my brother and I, and my brother had died of a drug overdose. And that's when in my early twenties, and that's actually when I became a Christian. So that'd be another story. So our, our lives, all of our lives are filled with trials, aren't they? Yes. And so when, when my brother side of a drug overdose, I was teaching with some some people that invited me to a Christian church. And I went to this church not to become a Christian or be born again or saved or anything because those weren't terms that I knew in the Catholic church. I already thought I was a good person. I thought I was going to heaven. I just went to this church because they said, hey, the pastor lost his brother when he was about your age. I was really struggling at that time. And they said, why don't you come and talk to this guy and maybe he can help you a little bit. So I went there, had never heard the gospel I read the gospel, uh, it, it bore witness, it resonated with me, I believed it, I believed I was sinner, I believed Jesus died for my sins, it was like God just opened my heart to the gospel, kind of like in, with Lydia in Acts 16, and I was saved, and then I was super excited to share the gospel with my family, Most, all of them still in the Catholic Church, and I didn't go about it very well, uh, someone said I was like a bull in a china shop, it's probably a good description, I was kind of very aggressive, I upset people, I hurt people, Um, I was offensive, people didn't want to be told they were going to hell, they didn't want to feel like there was something wrong with their religion, and so instead of just sharing Christ, I became, I was more um, kind of critical of things I probably shouldn't have been critical of, so anyway, so that's what started the separation, Um, but then God healed so much of that, my parents became Christians and then they came moved to be by me i got to baptize them it was very special because so many people have been praying from my parents salvation and i was it was a difficult thing for them because they wanted me to be in the catholic church but then when they came and they watched me teach bible studies or they watched me preach they couldn't really deny that god had done something in my life and that i had changed in a very wonderful way and so here they have this real tension where it's like okay we wish Scott was still Catholic, but we really love what we're seeing. We love we love seeing his spiritual growth as a husband, as a father, wonderful um, ways in his life that he has become more like Christ. So when they finally embraced the gospel themselves, we, we really grew in our relationship. And so when I, I was an associate pastor then, when I came up to Washington to receive the senior pastor position, my parents came up here, uh, followed us, lived two houses down from us, and dad was a deacon. In the church, and two weeks ago, so this was Sunday, Sunday, um, uh, uh 13 days ago, so today's Saturday here, so this would have been May 2nd. Mom called me and she was terrified and she was screaming for me to go to their house. Now, dad's Alzheimer's had progressed enough that he would wander off, and there were a couple times, not very often, where he might get angry for no reason. And so when mom was not telling me what was wrong, but I assumed that he was, he had wand, walked off, wandered off and she couldn't find him or I assumed that perhaps he'd gone upset, but I had never heard mom sound this way before. So I knew it was serious. And so I ran to um, their house and I happened to be with my associate pastor at the time and he followed me and mom uh, wasn't speaking very uh, clearly because she was sobbing and dad was passed down on the floor. And so I, by God's grace, I mean, this is, this is one thing I would share. Uh, it's more of a practical or pragmatic thing, but I happen to have been trained in CPR um, maybe like a year ago. There's a deacon in our church who's a nurse. And he said that he was trying to get everyone to take CPR. And just to be honest, I didn't want to take it. I didn't want to give up the whole Saturday. I had taken CPR, when I was a school teacher and a coach before I became a before I became a pastor, that's what I did. I was a school teacher and a coach. I took CPR then, and he said, "How long ago was that?" And I said, "Well, you know, maybe almost almost two decades." And he's like, "Do you really think you remember it very well? Don't you think you should be refreshed on?" And I and I said, "You're probably right." So I received the CPR training, and so Dad was passed out on the floor, and he wasn't breathing. And I immediately began uh, administering CPR, and my associate pastor who had followed me because we had run from my house to there. Um, I was really exhausted and I was, uh, he started alternating with me, administering CPR, going back and forth until the paramedics came and they, we weren't, they were not able to revive him. And so it was shocking. Um, the dad passed away that night. He had started to choke on some food and he's fallen over and he was unconscious and they, and then, we were not able to revive him. And the paramedics labored over him for probably well over an hour while we were outside. And I just held mom and we all sobbed and it was very, um, unexpected. And so one of the things that has really, um, challenged me is that, and I think this has application for people who are not pastors. So I'm going to share about myself, but I will say that everyone can really benefit from this as a pastor. I don't think uh, in America, at least not yet, that we are being persecuted for our faith. At the very worst, if you share the gospel, someone might make fun of you a little bit. You know, they might reject what you have to say, but we're not being beaten. Our children are not being abused. We're We're not experiencing real persecution for our faith. And so because of that, it's fairly easy for me to stand up behind the pulpit and preach very boldly and look very spiritual. I guess what I would say is, when things are going well in my life, it is not very challenging for me as a pastor to look like I have a real sincere heart for Christ. It's very easy to stand there and preach the word of God and for people to look up and say, oh yeah, you know what a strong, mature Christian he must be. But the times that it's really an opportunity to reveal our relationships with Christ to the world or to others is when we're suffering. I mean, that's why Peter says, that he talks about the testing of our faith and the genuineness of it. Trials are that are that fire or that heat that reveal whether our faith is sincere or genuine or not. And so it's kind of the idea. I tell people this: it's not a question of whether you survive trials. It's a question of whether your faith survives trials. And what I mean by that is there's lots of people who don't physically survive trials. And by that, someone gets cancer. Or let's use a real extreme example, martyrs. Martyrs do not survive the trial, but their faith survives. And so it's always a question of whether our faith survives. Now, some people go through trials and they survive physically, but their faith doesn't survive. They don't survive spiritually. You Kind of think about Job's wife who told him, curse God and die. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever wondered why why the devil allowed her to live when he killed everyone else? I mean, she was like his servant. She, Satan took everyone else from Job, but allowed Job's wife to remain because he knew the kind of character she had and that she was someone who was going to tell her husband that he should curse God. And so what, what's, what she was basically saying was, you should despise God for what you're going through. And there is a real temptation or potential for that when we suffer to get, I mean, it might sound a little cliche, but are we going to become better or are we going to become bitter when we suffer?
2: Absolutely.
1: And so that's why James 1, it says, count it all, joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces patience. And then it says, but let, let patience have us perfect. Well, why does it say let? Because we have to let it do that. We can choose not to let trials make us better. We can choose to let trials make us bitter. And so we have to, we have to trust God. We have to walk by faith when we're suffering. And if our faith survives, the genuineness of it is proved then people are able to see Christ through us. And, and all of us hate trials, but I will say this. We, all want, we should all want to know that we are saved, that we are born again. And um, Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And so we don't want to get this wrong. We, you know, Jesus says, many will come to us. Many are going to say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not you know, do these things and think they were saved when they weren't? We don't like trials, but I can say this. When we go through trials, it is one of the most opportune times to recognize the genuineness and sincerity of our faith. If we come through that trial and still maintain our faith and our affection for Christ, it doesn't mean we're not going to have questions. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be frustrated or, or even, you know, angry at some of the things I think it's very legitimate. I think the Psalms are filled with people who poured out their hearts to God and God recorded these these very transparent vulnerable moments where people shared their agony in particular you know david whether he's on the run from saul or asap when he looks at the prosperity of the wicked these people who just who are so vulnerable and, and there's no there's no guile with them they're just sharing their hurt and frustration and even anger and that's that's uh, very legitimate i mean i'm not this isn't my suspicion i'm not inferring this the fact that god put those psalms in there for us to serve as examples when we are going through trials should be greatly encouraging for all of us. And so to kind of connect the dots or circle back, what I was trying to say was when this happened with my dad, I knew that I was being given a tremendous opportunity to stand before my church and preach and for people to see Christ while I was suffering and that I wasn't going to, you know, I might not handle things perfectly. I might, you know, have, have doubts or questions. And that's one other thing. Believers have doubt or doubts. Unbelievers have unbelief. There's a vast difference between doubt and unbelief. And so just because you have doubts or questions doesn't mean you're not a believer. All believers have doubts. None of us have perfect faith on this side of heaven. We see dimly in the language of First Corinthians 13. And so, but that's not the same as having unbelief. That's what unbelievers have. And so my church might see doubts from me. They might see questions and uncertainty and they might see, um, you know, hurt uh, and I hope vulnerability. And then I felt blessed, like I told you that, I mean, this isn't the most comfortable thing to talk about. You know, I can feel the pain just discussing it with you, but I'm thankful that God has given this opportunity to me, not just to share it with my um, church, but providentially you reached out to me about being part of this virtual conference. And now I have the opportunity to hopefully minister to some of to some of your um, viewers as well, and so I knew that when I shared about this, I wanted to be able to give thanks to God because First Thessalonians 5:18 it says to give thanks for all things in all circumstances. I mean, I'll just read the verse exactly. First Thessalonians 5:18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, none of us have trouble giving thanks for circumstances when things are going well. I mean, on the the hilltop, who can't praise God, Mm -hmm. give thanks? And and it's kind of the unfortunate thing whenever they interview an athlete and this person just won the Super Bowl or the big game and then they they praise God. I wanna see someone that gets interviewed after they lose who still praises God. And I appreciate that they win and then they wanna praise God, but who doesn't give thanks when things are going well? So show me the person. Show me the person who, like Joni Erickson Tata, uh, or who is suffering, who's, who lost the game, who lost the child, who lost a parent who still praises God. That's what's really significant. That's when it's hard to give thanks. Um, and so that's what I've kind of had the opportunity to do. And even just a few things, I don't want to go on too much about this, but that last Sunday with my dad, it was a very which was the last day of his life. It was a very sweet day. We went to church together as a family. I preached that day. I'm the senior pastor, so I preach most Sundays. But uh, anyway, but it was a morning of worship with my family, with including my parents there. We went home. We were supposed to have a woman over for lunch. She didn't come over, so my parents came over. So we got to have a meal with my family. We went back to evening service, and then we had evening service together as a family, and then that was and then mom called me soon after evening. that's when I received a phone call after evening service. And so my last day on this earth with my dad was one spent in worship. It was one spent in fellowship. One of the interesting things, um, we're expecting our ninth child. My oldest is 13 and our youngest just turned one. And we were not, and this is unfortunate, but we weren't really able to let my dad hold our youngest child, Lydia, because he might, Set her someplace or he might kind of forget. And so, but during this meet, our last meal together, Lydia was at the table and she kind of crawled across the table to dad while he was sitting and he was able to hold her.
2: And oh. so, yeah.
1: But so he had not, he had not held her before. Oh, and so he was, awesome. Yeah. So he was able to hold her. And then one of the other things that I would say that was a blessing. Um, and I hope that others listening would apply this in their lives. I was, have not been a perfect son. There are things that I would do differently. So this isn't to say I don't want anyone to think more of me than they ought. I'm just sharing one thing I'm thankful for that I perhaps did right as a son. Over the last few months of my dad's life, when he wasn't thinking as clearly, I would regularly put my hands on his shoulders and I would look him in the eyes and I would say, Dad, I love you so much. I just want you to know that I love you so much. And I don't really know how much I don't know that he understood everything, um, but I believe he at least knew that I loved him. Mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that I said this to him many times, um, many times, you know, not just not just once or twice, but I can look back and be very confident that I had expressed to him my my love and affection for him. There was one night when my mom had to have surgery and I spent the night at their house. Because she, she couldn't take care of my dad. Um, she was recovering from the surgery. I think she wasn't even home. She was at the hospital. And this was just a few months ago. And I tucked dad in that night and he wasn't putting his pajamas on the right way. He's putting his pajamas over his, over his pants. And it was kind of a very tender moment, you know, being able to care for your dad as a child, your parents, your parents care for you. You don't expect to care for them. So just caring for dad, helping him get in his pajamas and then put him in bed. And I laid him down and he had, he still had a hearing aids in and just taking those out of his ears. And it just felt like a real gentle moment between us and, you know, just to lean down and tell him good night and give him a kiss and say, I love you very much, dad. Have a good night. I love you. And, you know, having those moments with him. And so I'm, I'm thankful for many things with my dad's passing. I'm thankful that I'm not filled with regret associated with things that I wish I would have said to him or wish that I would have had him around my family or wish that I had shared the gospel with him because those were all things that I was able to do and I guess the, the one thing about the CPR that I was trying to share earlier I, um, to kind of bring that full circle and complete the story I'm thankful that this guy talked me into taking CPR because if I had went there that that night, I obviously I wasn't able to revive my dad but if I didn't know CPR and had not tried I can't imagine Right if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing such a vulnerable and intimate story with us. Um, And um, just very, very touching. Um, What, um, if you don't mind, when your brother passed away or during that time in your life, you wouldn't mind. You weren't you weren't saved and you weren't a Christian then. If you don't mind sharing that type of pain and that time of your life compared to this and the difference. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And just, and just to be clear, I mean, to give you a little background about that, my brother and I grew up fairly similarly. He was one year, he was 14 months younger than me. We were always a pretty close family and we were both involved in athletics and academics. And then, and I don't know if you'd remember this, but, Um, kind of the grunge movement, like when Nirvana came on the scene and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots, I didn't really get caught up in that, but something happened where my brother just kind of started going that direction. He changed the way he dressed. He's getting really into, um, that kind of music. And I, I mean, I enjoyed the music. I wasn't a Christian. I was fine with it, but my brother started getting into drugs at that time and he never recovered from it. He became addicted to drugs and then he went in the military and they gave him a lot of pills. We don't know whether he really had pain in his knees. He was in the 82nd Airborne, he would jump out of plane. We don't know whether he really had pain in his knees or he just said that so he could get more pills, but he developed a very severe addiction to pills to where once he got out of the military and couldn't get the pills anymore, he would break into people's houses to get into their medicine cabinets. And that's when he started getting arrested. And we went and visited him at jail, talked to him on the other side of the glass. it was It was absolutely shocking. It just it seemed like uh, this surreal experience, you know, that would happen to other people. So no, we weren't Christians at that time, and then I got a call um, from my from my dad, actually who never who doesn't ever call because he's a pretty quiet man. Normally, my mom calls and she told me, or and he told me that Jason had passed away. And that, that was absolutely shocking because he had a pill addiction. So he didn't look like a meth addict. He didn't look like a druggy on the street. He was actually, um, at the time he took steroids too. So he was very strong and physically, you know, healthy. And, um, and so that, so soon after that, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know Christ. I didn't have answers for anything I was dealing with. And that's why some Christians at the school where I taught said, why don't you come to this church and just talk to this pastor because he lost his brother when he was about your age. And I went there just just to talk to this guy. I didn't go there to become a Christian or anything like that. I thought good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. I'm a good Christian or I'm a good person. So I'm going to go to heaven. So I hear the gospel. I learned that I'm this bad person. I'm a sinner who needs Christ. And the thing I would say, all of this now I look back on, I just see how God was so sovereignly providentially working in my life. Romans eight twenty eight, working out all these things for good. But I didn't see it at the time. It actually took some years to be. Now, now it's almost, it's almost ironic that I, I couldn't see it at the time because God's fingerprints were so, um, you know, clearly on every aspect of my life. But I, re- I really didn't see it. It took some time. It just felt like this very confusing, difficult time that also had this kind of unimaginable joy in it because I also became a Christian. So, one of the things by God's grace, my brother did not have much with him at the end of his life, but he did have a Gideon's Bible someone had given him, and he did sign his name in the back of that and say that he had prayed the sinner's prayer, so we do hold on to that. I hope that we will, we will see him again, <clears throat> and so one of the things that was really difficult during that season was my parents lost one son, and they would say that they felt like they were losing the other son, too, when I was leaving the Catholic church, and so that was very, very difficult for them, but And it was confusing for me because I had to continue to follow Christ. Nobody wants to feel like they're upsetting or disappointing their parents, especially when their parents are already upset about losing a child. But I would just encourage everyone, you know, follow Christ, do what's right. I obviously didn't do it perfectly by any means, but God still blessed, you know, my efforts, my imperfect efforts. And so follow Christ, even if things don't make sense, because you're going to be able to trust him then to work things out for good, which is what he did. And so it's kind of a different, it was a different pain because I, the, one of the situations I didn't know Christ with my brother, and now I do know Christ. So I can be confident that my father is in heaven. I saw evidence of the gospel changing his his life. I do believe very, very um, not sort of sentimentally. I believe very legitimately that my dad was a Christian because of the evidence I saw in his life. None of us should ever We don't ever want to be those people to just think someone's a Christian just because they, you know, closed their eyes one time and they prayed or something like that. And so, but with my dad, I really saw a change with him. Now, my brother, I had to go through that without knowing the Lord. He brought me to himself through it, which is one of the wonderful things during trials. We can believe that God is bringing forth good from them, even if we can't see it at the time which is why it's required that we walk by faith. I think, I think when we think of walking by faith, we tend to think about like a missionary going overseas to some third world country. Or no, we walk by faith when we go. I mean, one way, that is one way to walk by faith, being a missionary in a third world country, not to minimize what they do. But another way to walk by faith is to go through something very difficult and say, I don't know why this is happening, but I will continue to trust God through this. Habakkuk 2, 4, the just shall live by faith it's, it's a lifestyle it's not just an occasional thing and so that is one way that we that we walk by faith and trust god just that painful difficult things that don't make sense to us happen and we say lord you know what's best you are good you have my best interest in mind you are working on my behalf even if i can't see it you are bringing about good in my life and other people's lives
2: you will turn my mess into a message you will turn my test into a testimony Absolutely. So I have to ask, what are um, three main steps you think or you feel that people can take to turn their pain, their trials, their tribulations into a purpose and a plan for their life?
1: Mm -hmm. So it's no guarantee that when people suffer that they're going to benefit from it. I mean, I kind of talked about that earlier, become better Mm -hmm. or become bitter. And so you're kind of asking how can people ensure that they become better And I just want to say it is not a guarantee. So I'm really glad you asked that, Tracy, because for some people, they they conclude trials in a much worse position than when the trial began. So how can we ensure? Well, first, one of the things we talked about, we can trust the Lord. No matter how difficult it is, we can choose to trust him. It is It must be deliberate. It's intentional. We must say, I don't know why this is happening, but you know what's best. The second thing is actually takes place before the trial, One of the things I kind of notice with people is if you kind of thought of like a test or a game, you don't don't start studying for a test the day of a test. You don't start preparing, practicing for a game the day of a game. You prepare before that. And it's the same with trials. Unfortunately, sometimes people try to get real spiritual once a trial happens. But to be honest, I mean, that's nice if they're turning to the Lord during the trial. But you kind of want to start preparing and strengthening yourself spiritually before the trial hits. You don't want to start studying the day of the test. So you get that cancer diagnosis. Well, hopefully for the months or years before that, you have been a person who's been in the word of God. You have been in prayer. You have been part of the local church. If you get a cancer diagnosis and you don't even have a church, I mean, and you haven't read the Bible, you know, twice in five years or something, you're not that you're going to be kind of devastated. You're going to be potentially blindsided by that trial. So I would say one, one thing is just make sure you're preparing for a trial when you're not yet in a trial. And then the third thing is I would say ensure that you have strong Christian fellowship around you. Hopefully that's your spouse. Hopefully that's parents or children. uh, And if you don't have those, if I'm talking to single people, then hopefully that's your church family. I'm a pastor. I'm the one that's supposed to be shepherding the people in my church. But I can say that over these last two weeks, it's been my church family that has been pouring into me and my family, bringing us meals, praying for us, sending us cards and messages. It's almost like they're the ones who are in a sense, pastoring or shepherding me during this time. And if you don't have a church family, you're going through this stuff alone. God wants to love you. He kind of, let's say he wants to wrap his arms around you through the body of Christ. That is his body that he's going to use to minister to you. So I would say if you're not plugged into a local church, you need to pray that God helps you find one.
2: Absolutely. I think that's very, very well said. Amazing, three steps, definitely. Yeah, and uh, so what if somebody doesn't uh, have a church or, um, you know, what if they're, you know, don't even know where to start, you know, what if they're just so devastated and um, you know, don't even know where to begin?
1: Yep, very good. So I would say they can go on the internet and they can type in, you know, churches near me, biblical churches near me, Christian churches near me. Um, go to the statement of faith, or go to the church website. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be a fancy, extravagant church by any means. In fact, I'm not really a fan of of churches that are big on entertainment. I'm not a fan on churches that have a big dog and pony show. I like churches. If, if I wasn't a pastor, if I go to another church, I, I like churches where they preach the word expositionally. I want to hear the word of God. I'm not. I'm not looking to be entertained. And so, look for a church where there's a pastor that's preaching the word faithfully and uh expositionally and if you call the church and you ask and you talk to the pastor which is a very reasonable thing and you say do you preach expositionally and he doesn't know what that means i would go run the way, run away now if he says yes i'm i'm big on expositional preaching then that's a good sign i would also say that looking for um you know look at their statement of faith ensure that they have the gospel right just take a a glance at it. I mean, if they said, Hey, people go to heaven by being good people and they're not getting the gospel, right. That's, that's a pretty bad sign. And get, and give a church a couple, you know, my Tracy, just to be candid with you, here's my, my um, experience. Most people go into a church and it resonates with them or it doesn't. They go in and it's like, this is home. This is my family. Or they're like, this is not for me. And there are people that have come to our church and have said, You know, there's, this isn't really, and I'm like, that's fine. There's other great churches. out there. We're not the only church. Let me pray for you that God helps you find the right church. And then other people come in and they say, this is just what we've been looking for. We have been waiting for this. This feels like family already. So I I really feel like God wants us in the right church. That's going to bear witness. It will resonate with us. God is going to reveal um, to people when they attend a church, whether that's the right one for them or not. Yeah,
2: I agree. Definitely. Well, that's, that's good. Um,
1: is there, uh, you, you have a free gift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most of my, a lot of my ministry has focused on marriage and I have a free book. It's a small one. It's a pretty quick read. It's called seven biblical insights for healthy, joyful, Christ-centered marriages. So seven biblical insights, uh, Tracy, you'll probably provide them with a the link. They can find it on yeah. my website, scottlapierra.org, or perhaps Tracy will put the link to it. In the in the show in the uh, show notes or something like yeah. that, and, yeah,
0: know, definitely. And
2: that's how we can get a hold of you is your um, website, yeah. and um, I'll get that information out too. But I want to one last question that I want to ask you is: Is there anything else that's on your heart that we that we didn't discuss
1: um, during this interview? Yeah. I think just one thing that's coming to mind is. There's a, the world isn't getting better. I think the world's becoming more liberal, drifting further from the Lord. And so if this is the time when Christians need to pull together, and this is the time that people really need to get serious about their faith, because it's going to be evident pretty quickly who's kind of like the weed and who's the chaff. It's going to be some divisions are going to develop. There's there's terrible things that we see happening in the world. And so now is the time to, to get serious about your faith, not wait you know, further down the road when things have become even worse and it's even harder for people to follow Christ.
2: Yeah, I agree. Well, again, I thank you so much for being here, um, sharing such amazing insights, Scott, and being so vulnerable um, with everything that we've gone through. And congratulations on the new little one coming. Um, Thanks, Tracy. Amazing family, nine soon. Um, uh, again, this has been a, a great time with you, and um, it's been fabulous to meet you and, and listen to your stories and share your insights. I really appreciate our time together.
1: Yeah, well, Tracy, thanks for having me as a blessing. I appreciate your ministry. I appreciate your heart for people to be able to navigate through trials in a way that um, you know, glorifies the Lord. I appreciate you wanting to encourage people, so thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for being here, Scott, and we will talk soon. Thank you so much.
1: Okay. Bye.